0: Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 77. I'm Sean and we're finally getting round to reviewing some of those Essen games, Ronan.
1: Well, the shine has not worn off for me, Sean. I'm still excited, still trying new Essen games, but we're going to talk about six that we have played a few times and bury into them a little bit this time around. Sean, delight me with what you have on offer.
0: Well, Ronan, I have Key to the City London. I also have Flum Rouge and Last Friday. Ooh. Mm. And I've got
1: Adrenaline, Great Western Trail, and Cottage Garden to discuss. Sean? Also, currently running on Kickstarter until Thursday the 1st of December, so you've got a couple more days to get in there. There is a campaign for Mythic Battles Pantheon from Monolith and Mythic Games, the team that brought you the big kickstarter success of conan we have had a chance to play this game or i have anyway <laughs> sean's got a chance to hear
0: him you i just maybe. be mean again on. <laughs>
1: yeah a little bit so in the middle of the episode after the great western trail review we're going to do a quick section where we'll discuss mythic battles pantheon and i can give you my insights on the game having actually played it and yeah had some fun uh, me, that's the least i can say about it's so,
0: yeah, being mid move is not fun at the moment. I'm missing out on so much. Oh, I get to have all the fun! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Please go there for gaming podcasts, news, reviews, and everything you can think about about games. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, Podbean maybe i'm foolish maybe i'm blind thinking i can see through this and see what's behind got no way to prove it so maybe i'm lying but I'm only human after all. I'm only
1: human after all. So, our first game this episode is Adrenaline. It's from Czech Game Editions this year, obviously 2016. It's for three to five players, playtime of around 45 minutes. And the designer is Philip Neduk. And his main design before this is Goblins Inc. A slightly underrated game, I say. I quite, I quite like it, it's quite fun. So this is very much a ton-in-cheek approach to creating a first-person shooter deathmatch in board game form and being able to play it in under 60 minutes. Each player takes one really good-looking, I have to say, plastic figure. And they're going to place them on the modular map in one of three different spawn points, which correspond to yellow, red and blue. Those colours will come out throughout the whole game because they correspond to different things in there. And we'll talk about them as we go through. The map is modular. As I said, there are two half boards. You can flip them around. You've got four different configurations. And the map splits the board into rooms and spaces. And the rooms are colours and there are spaces within those rooms. Each player then takes turns taking two actions on their turn. And the actions they can take are simple as run three spaces, not diagonally, you always move orthogonally they can alternatively move one space and grab something and this is where the rules start coming into the game because what can they grab well if they're in a spawn space they can be able to grab a weapon there are up to three weapons available in each spawn space all the time they come from a mixed deck all the weapons have got different various effects they work in different ways and i will talk about some of them a little bit towards the end of the rules explanation but you can grab one of these weapons and pay the cost now there's a cost in the upper left corner of these cards you get discount the first time you pick up a weapon but it's going to cost you more to use it subsequently and again we'll get on to how that works. The other things you can pick up are cubes. If you are in a room and there's no weapons available there will be cubes and or power up cards available. The cubes are the resources in the game and that's how you're going to be able to pay for the weapons that you pick up I just said there's a cost to them and also how you're going to be able to reload them to reuse those weapons. Or there's a power up token. You, you pull the power up card, they're random, they just give you extra something one-off in the game to give you a little boost when you most require it now the third action as you can imagine in this theme of a game is to shoot so you activate a weapon card from your hand once and you play it down in front of you how does that work they're all going to target either a person or a room there are over 20 of them in the game and they all work completely differently but there are examples such as uh tractor beam which will let you move someone around and then damage them or there's the thaw that's just a damaged person you can see and then damage a second person that that first target could see and possibly damage a third person that the second target could see you're sending lightning flashing around the place or a rail gun usually you can't shoot through walls with a railgun. you can shoot through walls there's flamethrowers. there's furnaces that heat up rooms there's just normal sort of machine guns grenade launchers rocket launchers All sorts of different weapons, as will be familiar to you if you've ever played computer game first person shooters. They're all going to have this initial effect when you play them, and possibly have an additional cost. So, for example, the Thor to hit one person, you just play the card down. If you wish to hit more people, you pay extra cubes, and that's where the resources come in. When you hit people, usually you're going to damage them. When you damage them, you take a plastic blood drops equal to your damage that you've done, and put them on their life tracker, and that fills up from left to right. When that person dies, everyone who has damaged them is going to take points. Now, that person takes a skull and lays it on the board. We'll talk about what that does in a second. But whoever's done the most damage to the person, the first time they get killed, is going to score 8 points. And it's going to be most victory points at the end of the game. is going to win. The second most damage, 6 points, four, two, one, so on. The person who actually makes the kill is going to get a kill bonus. So it's worth taking that one shot to get an extra point. The person took a skull and put it on their board. For the rest of the game, the person who's already died is worth fewer points. That 8 points is no longer available. Now the person who does most damage to them when they've died is going to get 6 points, and it will go on downwards should they subsequently die more than once. Now, that sounds like you're going to be trying to shoot people, possibly pick on people. Well, the name adrenaline comes in here because you get adrenaline boost to your actions once you start getting some damage. If you've taken 3 hit points worth of damage, instead of just moving one space and to grab something, you can move two spaces so you become more mobile and if you get six points of damage on there you can be able to move one space and shoot which actually makes a big difference because you'll find people trying to avoid you or hide behind walls or tuck around doors or corners because the whole map isn't open and that be able to move one really opens the board up for you there are other things you can do when you're activating weapons on people like marks which will add to the next damage you can do to them if you overkill someone if you kill them more than you need to to just to kill them they get a mark back against you because when someone dies they immediately respawn back in one of those respawn points with the weapons and they get going again now depending upon whether you're playing the introductory game which there's five skulls in so five kills basically will finish the game or you can play up to eight skulls if everyone is familiar with the game Before I go on to how the whole game finishes, I've mentioned reload. I couldn't find a good way to get it in. But at the end of your turn, you get a chance to reload your weapons. So all the ones that you've played down in front of you, you can bring them back into your hand. You can only ever have three available to you at any one point. But to bring them back into your hand, you're going to have to pay cubes again. And you're going to have to pay more than it costs to just grab a weapon from a respawn point. So reusing weapons becomes quite expensive. But if it's a good weapon it's working for you, maybe that will be worth it. So, there are two ways of finishing the game when the fifth or the eighth skull is taken. Either you do sudden death, which is the basic one, which means it's over and you score. It's a little bit gamey because people just get one point of damage in here and there, score lots of points for it, makes the whole rest of the game not worth it quite so much. The more advanced version is a final frenzy where everyone gets boosted actions, and anyone who's got zero damage on them becomes worth very few points, and anyone who dies during that final frenzy, they become worth very few points as well. And it kind of stops there being a little imbalance in there, so I'd recommend using the final frenzy version. At the end of the game, either way, you're going to score remaining damage, and the most victory points is going to win adrenaline. Sean! thoughts for us on this one
0: well first off ronan the production quality is what really drew my eye in Essen, it stand out from a lot of the crowd over there really vibrant sort of neon colors it's kind of that retro feel for the first person shooter games that it's trying to bring back to us
1: yeah and and i'll roll in i mean the production quality is really high but the whole presentation of the game as well and it it goes into the way the rules are written as cg are famous for having these rule books that kind of jokey and and they follow this through here this characters in with funny bits and it genuinely is funny like there's a whole page of flavor text and it just comes in and goes it doesn't matter you're just here to shoot people we all know we're just here to shoot people and that can raise a chuckle each of the different avatars you can be have got their own little personality and it just helps a little way i think that follows through greatly for me into the weapons where they all feel like they've got personality and they've got character and it'd be great having this game look great but to bring it through and follow that theme all the way through every aspect of the game is I think the genius that they've done with it.
0: Yeah. As you said, where you do have the first page of the rule book is absolutely hilarious where it, it starts going into these really deep rules and then just says, you know what? Forget all that. Let's have a, they paste the sticker over it. So just shoot stuff. Kill yeah, things. And, and
1: that's literally how it tells you to start the game. Don't worry about that. It just goes, right. You're starting here. Just start shooting and it starts it off appropriately for this sort of a game sean because the game is really light to me it's pretty chaotic because it's much better at the higher player counts with three it even says you have to use a bot to, to make it sort of well some of the weapons don't really work so four or five players running around it is quite chaotic and you really have to enter the spirit of that to get the most out of the game
0: yeah, it is it is absolute chaotic fun. And I think it, it does capture the essence of some of those early first person shooters that we certainly remember growing up with Ronan where it wasn't the, <laughs> the the final really streamlined product that you get nowadays with Call of Duty and things like that. Like your your dooms and things things of that ilk. And yeah, this is what really captures it is chaotic. There's I didn't think there was a whole heap of strategy embedded into it, Ronan.
1: No, not at all. And this is actually one of my main points. I keep on seeing this game being talked about as a Euro game, a first person shooter Euro game. It's making me shake my head every time I hear that because i don't think it's very euro at all at all sean i think what there is is a really clever scoring system i think there's a couple of bits of balancing when you're getting picked on so you get those extra actions and you're really worth fewer points if you've died already but the game is not a euro game it's a run round, shoot laugh someone anyone could kill me i can't really see where the attacks are coming from yeah who i attack there's a little bit of gamey in how i score that but to call this a euro, I think, is a misnomer completely. I, I'm not feeling that, and I'm wondering why that's getting put around quite so much because it, it certainly gave me the wrong approach to the game.
0: Yeah, I did feel like i would kind of been led up the garden path a little bit because it was. You're absolutely right. People keep going on about this euro feel to it, and I suppose there is a little bit of resource management in there. There's, but not points. really,
1: you can have not, a not really. of three different colors. Yeah, you know, people call it resource yeah. management and area majority scoring, and I, that's just over overegging the pudding for me. Completely.
0: It really is. No, it really is. It's so much simpler than that, and I think it's better than that because these reviews that I keep seeing and people talking about it, it kind of made me feel like that was going to take the fun away, but it didn't because it just wasn't there. So I kind of needed a, a couple of goes at this one before it started to sort of show its true colours to me.
1: Yeah, I've, I've got a litmus test on this. I've actually taught it more than I've played it, believe it or not, because we have a copy and lots of people want to play it and try it. Such buzz around it. And when I teach it, if I start at the end of the explanation explaining what the weapons do, it's called this, this is what it does, and people are laughing, I know the table are going to have fun, and I, I think that tells you a lot about the game. If you look at these weapons and go, "Oh, that's pretty funny," I can stitch you up like that. Oh, that's clever. That does act like oh, I can see why they've called it that, and that's fun to you. You'd enjoy the game. If you're looking at it going, oh, that's a bit silly. Oh, it doesn't seem very balanced. You're not going to have fun with adrenaline. It, it is silly.
0: It, it absolutely is, <laughs> yeah. It is, and I think I, what I really liked was the toy factor of the different weapons, because there is a lot of different things to try out. They all do work differently, and I just loved going around collecting the different weapons, seeing what worked in, in that mad moment, and that's one of my favourite aspects of the game.
1: It's quite funny when if you get to know the weapons and you're then you're trying to remember who's got what in their hand because you hold the weapons in your hand until you play them and you go oh no I've just finished my turn right next to that guy and he's got the power glove he's going to run in and punch straight through me and you're like oh what idiot after you told yourself to stay away from him <laughs> when it comes around to your go uh, yeah lots lots of fun and mayhem to be had Sean your final thoughts on adrenaline.
0: For me, Adrenaline Ronan. It, it is exactly that in a box. It is quick, fun. It's not personal because everybody's going to be shooting you. I don't see the technical side. I don't see the strategic side of this. I certainly don't see the Euro side of this. But what I do see is, is a lot of fun in the box.
1: I think they've done everything brilliantly with this game. I think it's light. I think it's funny. I think it's fun. It's not my style of game. I'm not going to choose to play this that often, which is probably why I've taught it so often as opposed to play it myself. But the fun I see other people having while they're playing it and the fun I've had myself tells me this is a quality product, but be aware, light, chaotic, funny, not, not a euro. Should I say that again? Because you haven't said it enough. On. Not a euro.
0: And I don't that's, think we said fun enough in that review. <laughs> <laughs> and that's adrenaline. Okay, I'm going to change tack completely here, Ronan, and we are going a bit Euro, and it is Key to the City London, designed by Sebastian Bleasdale and Richard Breeze, and they are the gentlemen behind the whole Key series. That's Keyflower, Cathedral, Key, Key Markets, and this is from R&D Games and Quind Games. Key to City London is actually billed as a streamlined version of Keyflower itself. And what you're going to do in this game is, using an income of meeples in three different colours, minus the green ones from Keyflower, so you're already streamlining there, players are going to look to build their own London borough. And doing this, they will be doing the following things. You're going to bid for tiles using the meeples, so you're going to put a colour of meeple on your side of a tile, and then everybody else has to use that colour, so you are setting the colour and obviously the person who bids the most is going to get that tile at the end of the round. You're going to be able to use a tile to generate resources. And the resources in this are skills and connectors. You can upgrade a tile. The Tiles flip over. and They either give you better bonuses or more points. And at the end of the round, you've got a river board. And you can set sail on the Thames. And you're going to earn your income and bonus for the next round. So, all tiles depict famous London landmarks, and as I said, they either generate resources, give points, multipliers, or score straight up points. Connectors are going to cover one or two tiles, and they're going to enhance your scoring if they are connected to the right tiles. Players can use other tiles, but will lose any meeple used to that person or into the bank if it's one of the tiles in the centre of the board. So... That's, it's a rough outlay of Key to the City London, Ronan.
1: Yeah, we did preview this, Sean, and a, a lot of it is going to go on key Flower because it's such a very similar game. What they've gone here is they've gone for very clear iconography and direction in this. So much more so than Keyflower. You can see everything that's going on on the board. You can clearly see what tiles do. There are much less complicated effects on the tiles. So when someone's doing something, you can see what they're doing, that they are getting that color of connectors, which means they're setting up that tile to score or they're setting up that tile to upgrade. And that completely opens the game up, makes it much less obscure, makes the table much easier to read. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, Sean. It speeds up the game, but it simplifies the game. And that's the real conundrum that I've got with to City London is I think they've done what they've attempted to do. And now they've done it. I'm not sure I wanted them to do it.
0: Yeah. you. Oh, is that a nail heck. being hit
1: on the head there?
0: That is a nail being hit <laughs> firmly on the head. Yeah. I was I was really excited about this one. And <laughs> you, you've stolen everything I wanted to say. It made me appreciate what was actually in Keyflower. I was thinking, oh, yeah, Keyflower is fiddling. You can't read the other people because you, this, there's quite a lot going on. But when you stripped it all away, I kind of wanted it back again. I wanted the green meeples. I wanted to be able to move my resources around and have to move my resources around my own tiles and, yeah, this one kind of just dripped some of the stuff that I realised that I was enjoying in Keyflower away from me.
1: What it, it did for me was it actually left you a slight bit more rigid because with the connectors, where you place the tiles is quite important. And often I found that this is a game of quite fine margins because, as I say, everyone can see what's going on. And sometimes like, you're getting connectors and you're laying them down and then later on, actually, by the time you get to round three or four, you're going, oh, that's a complete waste. I'm not going to score well with that. But I didn't know that at the beginning. I didn't know I was wasting those vital actions. Uh, that, I guess that I'm going to give that to you. That's one of the negatives I found, is it's so simple that it's quite rigid.
0: Yeah, it's, it's hard to set up things, and it is hard to see what path you're actually going down, because the path, they will kind of come to fruition, as you said, towards the end of the game. I actually felt... In a weird way, that the connectors actually gave me a bit of disconnect oh. with the actual game. Yeah, I just felt that they were fiddly, and I didn't see the point of them. And they—they they certainly weren't thematic. You just laying a, a piece of wood from one side to a, another side you didn't of another like tile. You're
1: building a gas network now. Or... <sighs>
0: whoa you see you've touched you've touched right there the one thing i did feel like i was doing a
1: gas network you were there yeah
0: builder yeah with my red and yellow and brown strips of wood i really felt like i was building a gas network (laughs) i'm I'm
1: glad i brought you to the heart of that particular moment you said they felt unthematic it was the worker things that felt unthematic me the bankers and architects and that because they're just what why have i got that where did that come from yeah do you know what it felt to me like I was playing a prototype, that they hadn't quite filled out the story of the game or the motivation of the game. And I was playing a clever system with these hexes and these pieces of wood and these chips and things upgraded, and that was all cool. But what it was and why I was doing it was where I was a bit lost. With Keyflower, I'm going to steal another one of your phrases Keyflower had a bit of charm, and this didn't. And to just throw another thing in there before I let you get back, which is funny. Because with that theme, you'd have thought our pants would have been charmed
0: clean off. Oh, you would. You would have thought so. And to go back to your point where you felt like it didn't—they didn't, didn't realise the story of the game. I felt like, although it looked nice from afar, I felt like the components were quite flimsy. I felt it looked nice, but felt cheap in my hands. Ooh. The whole production. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, not sure if I mean too mean there, but, but whereas Keyflower, I always felt with those cottages, you always kind of had that sort of. I keep. I'm using toy factor for the second review in a row, but yeah, you had that little, your little house, and each house was different, and the inside was all different, and you. That's where you hid your meeples, and this one. It's you a you Very a small things for you,
1: isn't
0: it? It, it really is. It really <laughs> it's is. The player
1: shield looks like a house or not.
0: <laughs> but it, was, it was one of those nice touches in Keyflower, whether I thought that this one actually lacked. This one was very clinical.
1: Yeah, clinical is not bad for it. I, I think that kind of comes at the same point from a different angle. I was making that it looks a bit like a prototype, and that, that adds that feel to it because it it was such clean iconography if you like but i'm like i don't know if clean is right because you did have to describe things to people and it if that upgrades what does it do now you can kind of see but it just wasn't laid out very well and and that sort of has me you know, with the prototype sometimes things are offset at funny angles or they don't quite flow into each other I, I had that feeling to it that someone needed to just give this a little bit of a polish um my last point i think before we start summing up on it is that this is a wildly different game according to the player count it's very very player count fragile in my experience and from the two to six it's bang in the middle four is the absolute sweet spot that i found because there's competition for tiles you can see what everyone's doing you can anticipate what they might be going for when you use a tile from someone it actually makes a difference because people have enough of a plan that you can say oh geez i I need to jump in there and take those blue connectors I know they can get them elsewhere, but but I need those blue ones. But then in doing so, my most vital tile that I haven't used, someone else can jump in and use and stitch me up. And there's a nice balance between reading each other and going, no, I need to do this, or no, I need to stop you doing that. Four, that worked. With three, and especially with two, is worse. There's not enough competition for tiles, and the auction thingy is kind of redundant. When you get up to five and six every action kind of felt like it wasn't that important in the overall flow of the game. Players had, I know the number of tiles balances to the number of players, but it doesn't balance completely. Players had fewer tiles available to them, so they had less of a plan. They certainly had less flexibility, back to that rigidity I spoke about before. And I didn't really care what the person two spaces away from me was doing because that was too much to keep track of.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. that two players The has zero interaction said at the higher player counts you get back to that so yeah four definitely the sweet spot and four is where you start to see some of that keyflower magic start flowing back into this game Oh so, yeah i think
1: you know i was stealing phrases from you you just stole a phrase from me
0: <laughs>
1: because in my summary i was about to say there's no magic
0: yeah yeah
1: it's, it's-, it's good Mm. I, if you ask me and we spoke about Keyflower before I said there's a lot going on that gives me a headache. I actually like the changes, but I guess I kind of don't know what I want. <laughs> because they made the changes, I go, yeah, I like them. Do you like the game though? Um yeah? It's good. I'm happy to play it. Is it as good as Keyflower? No. But you like the changes? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it made it a worse game. Yeah. Is that making any sense?
0: Yeah, you're, you're sounding like your ten-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: and no, a hey, but no. So for me, Key to City London, I like the changes they made from Keyflower. It's the other changes, I guess, that I don't like. It all felt a little bit soulless. It wasn't that well presented, and I just felt this game lacks a heart. But but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play it. I'm happy to play it. Just didn't fall in love with it.
0: It is one of those ones, I think we've probably been a little bit uh, sounding a little bit more harsh than we would normally do because we were quite excited about this, because we were fans of Keyflower, and because it's about London. So this one really had pressed a lot of our pre-S and buttons. It just hasn't lived up to the... The pre-Essen hype that we have given it ourselves. I think it's It's a perfectly decent game if I hadn't played Keyflower I probably would really like this one but I have played Keyflower and I want that bit of complexity that is in Keyflower. I want that bit of love and attention to detail that Keyflower has over this one so uh, a narrow miss for me is key to the city London.
1: A oh, bit of a disappointment after excitement pre-Essen there yeah okay another game we were excited about pre and sean is great western trail we used to play for great western rugby didn't we this <laughs> we should we should love this
0: well there you go it's another one we've built up the old hype for we? <laughs>
1: okay this is from stronghold and pegasus games two to four players 75 to 150 minute playtime player count dependent there the designer is alexander fister famous for isle of sky broom service mombasa now this is quite a heavy game I'm going to do my level best to give you the rules in the shorter time as possible. And I think Sean's going to put a stopwatch on me. And he's going to stop me if I hit the 30-minute mark, right?
0: Ah, dear. We've talked about this.
1: Okay, 30 minutes. I promise I'll come in under. Right. Each place. What? (laughs)
0: Three minutes, get it done.
1: <laughs> Each is a cattle baron, <laughs> driving a herd to Kansas, repeatedly up to seven or eight times in the game, if you're lucky, to sell the herd in Kansas and ship it across America. In game terms you are represented by one cowboy on the board and you're going to move that cowboy a number of spaces. Where it stops, you're going to activate actions and you're going to follow a divergent path along to Kansas City where you're going to take some actions, sell your cows and come back again to the beginning. So i keep talking about cows. How are they represented? They are a deck of cards. You begin with four types of cards, all of which have a value of one or two. Uh, there are 14 of them in your initial deck. When you get to Kansas with your Cowboy, you're going to have an initial hand size of four cards. You'll be able to sell those cattle. Now, they are going to come back into your deck and discard pile, but you're going to make some money out of them. You can only sell one of each different type, given you got a hand size of four and four different types. You're trying to manipulate it, so you have one of each type when you get to Kansas first time round. The total value of those different cards is going to be the amount of money you're going to get back into you then you're going to try and deliver them now there's a rail track that goes around the outside of the board and this visits different rail stations which we'll talk about later but different cities as well the value of the cattle you've sold is how far you go along this track to make your delivery and take a disc off your board which is going to open up actions to you I'm going to talk about this as we go through as well, but there's going to be a cost for you to make in that delivery. Uh, As we'll go back through and explain the other mechanisms of the game, just keep in mind you're trying to get to Kansas with a hand of differing cards which have a high value which will make you money and allow you to deliver at better places to score more points. So, how do we do this? You move your cowboy and to start with there are only neutral buildings on the board and the neutral buildings are going to allow you to take actions and you choose ones which ones to visit and you choose what you want to do now one of the ones you go to is to hire yourself more workers you start with one cowboy one engineer and one craftsman there is a job market which refills every time someone goes to kansas city and is the driver of the end of the game you can hire cowboys as you move your own cowboy around you're going to be able to possibly visit the cattle market which is an array of cards at the bottom of the board. They come in values 3, 4, and 5. They are strictly better than the ones you start with. They are a good thing to do. And the more cowboys you have, the cheaper and the more options you have in buying those cows and bringing them into your deck and improving the stock of your herd you can buy engineers now the more than we have the quicker you can move your train along that track to visit the cities in order to reduce the cost of delivering to better cities you can also use your train to visit stations and pay to upgrade them which is going to score you some points at the end of the game these also let you take discs off your board i mentioned that now you've got our own personal tableau in front of you which describes the rules of the game and also tells you what your restrictions are your hand size how far you can move and what auxiliary actions are available to you in various things and by removing discs you give yourself extra actions extra hand size extra moves and it's a good thing to do so one of the things you can do is get your engineers in move your train get rid of these discs improve overall your own personal board of actions you can do and the last type of worker you can hire a craftsman they're going to let you build your own buildings on the trail From where you start to Kansas City, there are neutral buildings at the start. There are spaces for other buildings, and players can build their own ones in there. You all start with your own tableau of 10 buildings. They are all the same as each other, though they may vary game for game because the 10 building tiles have got two sides to them. It costs you money to build your own buildings so when money comes into it, again you have to pay your craftsmen but your own buildings will allow you to do various things like make money or improve the certification on your herd so you make money they're going to allow you to trade with uh, the natives which is something which on the board which is going to allow you to make money they're going to allow you to hand in cattle from your hand and make some money with them on the waste so you can manipulate your hand in order to get to kansas with different cattle in there they're gonna allow you to remove hazards from the board like i said the trail on the board is branching some of the routes have got hazards in the way and you might want to go down there because people have made going down the other route difficult to you but if there are hazards it's, it's expensive to do so so you might want to remove them they'll score you some points the buildings are going to drive all your actions in the game and you have got some say on what is available on the board now if you stop somewhere that isn't a neutral or your own building the only thing you can do there is auxiliary actions you start off from able to just take one money or move your train one space but you can open this up to yourself and you can do things like move your train back in order to discard a card completely out of the game or pay money to move your train forward or take one money twice or cycle cards from your hand. so if i'm stuck with rubbish i can cycle one throw one away and draw another one and hope to get a better hand and those auxiliary actions like i say this is one of the reasons for getting rid of those discs and improving your tableau as you go on as you're moving through the board hazards native tiles and other people's buildings may cost you money to move through so you have to be aware of the routes and not get yourself stuck at the end of the game there are 11 scoring options available to you the main ones though to focus on the game are where you have delivered to along the train track that will score you points or lose you points when you buy better cattle and put them in your deck those cards are worth points Building your buildings on the board, they're all worth points to you. You can get objective cards, personal objectives for removing hazards and trading and things like that, which will score you points at the end of the game. And I said there are stations along the train track. If you've put discs in stations by spending money, they can score you lots of points as well. Sean, I did my best to get that down to three minutes. Great Western Trail.
0: That was a long three minutes.
1: It was about six (laughs)
0: <laughs> well done no he's a, he's a beast of a game to explain so well done <laughs> getting it that short okay right so ronan i think honesty is the best policy
1: oh dear okay
0: i'm not going to lie i gonna say right off the bat ronan i really like this game ronan
1: well okay great that's that's you done
0: right that's me right okay so moving on <laughs> And I think what my my review of this game is just going to have to be is about breaking down why I like this game, because it is a fabulous game, in my opinion. I think first and foremost, Roman, you have such a variety of different decisions that keep this game really interesting.
1: Firstly, I love a game that's got different strategies available to it, and that's really i really enjoy that the fact that you can go down trying to build your deck the fact that you can go after a big money strategy or you can fire your train along as far as possible knowing that actually there's a building you can build that let you move your train loads of spaces backwards and make special deliveries and score loads of points for doing that there's different ways but the other thing that really kind of makes the game shine for me and i'm not gonna be arguing with you too often about it being a very good game let me tell you is that the strategies the players take actually shapes the whole game and shapes the game for everyone else and you can have big money games you can have small money games if lots of people build buildings that have got those hands on that will cost you to move through suddenly everyone feels a little bit tighter and there's not much money in the game if the market it comes out we had had one game where loads of threes came out in value of cattle and no fives until more than halfway through the game and suddenly everyone's deliveries are worthless and there's less money coming into the game and everything suddenly tightens up, Sean. And despite it looking like it's going to be a euro with a fairly set thing, you build buildings, you pull it along, you sell. Every game I've played in half a dozen games has been different.
0: That's the whole point is you're, you're almost designing your own experience as you go along. You are placing your own worker placement areas. You are building a route to Kansas. You're blocking other people. You're making it more difficult for them. So everybody is building the board as they go along. And it is, of course, it's going to be different every time. And people do have to react to what each other are doing. And it just makes the variety in this game seem boundless.
1: And the interactivity as well is much higher than I expected or I thought when I first started playing. Where you build on the route makes a difference. How you take cards out of the cattle market, how quick is that getting hit? And is it getting absolutely rinsed every time by people? are people trading a lot because as the native tiles come out if you let them build up they become more and more valuable although that route is hard to go down if you trade with them you can make 10 or 8 money in one go but if people are constantly trading you're making one or two money each trade and again that affects the whole game is 10 money coming into this economy or is one money coming into this economy Mm -hmm. massive difference the hazards Are people allowing the hazards to build up or are they dealing with them? Because if the hazards are allowed to build up, you are forced down one of the two branches of each area which has got hazards. There are three areas in the game. So you're having to go past these people's tiles. And suddenly those spaces become, oh, if I build a building with a hand there that you have to pay me to get through, that's now a nice little learner. But all these buildings now have hands-on. And we're all getting hammered by each other. And you can get really killed on the route. You can get really stuck and go, oh... Like, uh, if you play three player, you can only move three spaces as your basic move. If you make it so there's more than three spaces between buildings you can stop at, it is an absolute killer every time you want to go through that board. Uh, The job market's got varying prices. So, if someone takes out all the cheap things, suddenly you're paying 10 for a cowboy, while it only costs Sean 5 for a cowboy. And you're like, so many things. They're all small, but they link together to make it much more interactive than I imagined.
0: Like we're talking about on the board, and then as Rona said, when he was introducing the game, you have got your own personal tableau, and that evolves, and you choose how that evolves. With as Rona said, the workers that come come into your onto your board, they're going to give you improvements in certain areas. You're going to, have to take the discs off the board, which reveal bonuses and better ways of doing things, and more things that you can get. So it, this game constantly constantly evolving and it's you that's shaping it and i just i love that
1: yes now sean the thematic approach and delivery because it's not a theme certainly that's been overused how do you feel they they succeeded in
0: that i did get a feeling of moving through the wild west i i i it did definitely come come through to me surprisingly so <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> it all made sense all, okay that's that it's, it is a hard teach it takes a while but then it all makes sense mm. once you start playing. Okay.
0: But, so can I just go to a point? Like, no. And I'm going to give you some kudos, Ronan. Ooh. as you picked this one from the previews, is that when you are playing this game, so we're talking about this really wide open, so many choices, you're crafting it yourself, you're shaping your own game, and the AP, as you said, Ronan, there's only a certain amount of things you can do each turn So the AP is actually really kept to a minimum. Each turn is its own little sort of world in itself. You can only get so far, and you can only do certain things, and you're aiming for your own buildings. So you have that sort of microcosm within the game of your own turn, and it's quite easy to pick what you want to do.
1: And also, each delivery is its own slightly bigger subsection because you have a certain amount of money at the beginning of it and you may be able to dribble in a bit here and there which can be very important but that's your budget for that whole move till you get to Kansas and make some more money again and you have to manage that and the management of money is vital it drives your deck building it drives your worker building it drives whether you can build buildings you're building building? I don't know what that. Yeah. so even harder again to get AP because you've got to go well Look, until I make that delivery, there's, you know, I've, I've got this hand of cards. It's going to get thrown away, and then I start again. And I love it because you've got almost three layers, but none of them kill you. What do I do this turn? What's my plan for this whole delivery with this hand of cards I've got? Usually a rubbish hand of cards. Everyone will tell you every time they've drawn a rubbish hand of cards. If they start giggling, you know you're in trouble and they're rushing to Kansas. And then thirdly, what's my overarching strategy? And I love that they build those layers on each other
0: yeah absolutely absolutely so you were going to raise another point
1: okay actually this is the last one for me because we kind of covered i was going to talk about deck building that's the heart of the game but subtly so and, and i love deck building the game and this is the right oh well, the right level but it's a very clever level of it because it drives things but it doesn't overpower things but actually sean the last thing i want to say to you was this is rated as 3.75 weight out of 5 on board game geek which is a pretty heavy i have to say Do you agree that it's that heavy, or what was your thoughts on that, basically?
0: well, goes back to my point before, Ronan, is that if you look at this, if you step back and take a look at all the choices that you have in this game, what you're trying to achieve, the the breadth of just ability to go in different directions, then you probably say, yeah, you know what, that is overwhelming. And it is a hard teach. But once you're in the game and you're playing the game... Everything makes sense. Every next step or next steps are are fairly straightforward and you know what you need to do. So it feels when you're in the game that you're actually well in control and have a very good idea of what you are trying to achieve. You're learning the game first. It does feel really meaty. So I understand why that rating is there, but I think a few plays, people will start bringing that right down.
1: Is this a three point seven five game in a two point five games clothing?
0: <laughs> Something like that.
1: that that's, people will pick up on that. That's catchy. All right. That'll be on the box on the reprint. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, you've summed up once already, but why not tell us again?
0: yeah i I love this game it is all the different decisions Uh, you've got the route playing the you've got the player board optimization the buildings construct the what cards to add to your deck what workers will assist you so much going on but so well done and seamlessly done a thoroughly enjoyable experience for me
1: i am very very impressed with it i have to say I would expect that this is going to turn up in both of our top five. Seeing as we're starting to think about the end of the show, I think Sean may have bought a copy in the middle of our first game of it. Just after our first game of it, he well, was I,
0: I, yeah. Sorry, right. Just, just, to, just to reiterate how much I enjoyed our first game of this. I bought two copies of this in Essen, and neither were for me. So because I thought, I'm buying for other people, one for you, one for Steve, again, someone who comes on the show quite often. And I thought, yeah, I don't need to play because I can play with those guys. I bought it mid-game of my first game. <laughs> That's how good it was.
1: And I think that out of, let's say I've taught it to 10 people, nine people have been impressed. Uh, yeah, which makes it a 9 out of 10 game right? if you take that as, as one way of measuring it it's it's been a big hit I love the strategic options I love uh, how you get affected by other players I love all the moving parts a great western trail for me absolutely hit the mark fantastic
0: game take a look in the mirror what do you see do you see it clearer or are you deceived And what you believe cause I'm only human
1: So we're going to jump in here and just give you a quick mini review of a game that's currently on Kickstarter and we're lucky enough to be sent a full working prototype off uh, and I've played it and Sean's going to fire some questions at me it's Mythic Battles Pantheon it's on Kickstarter until Thursday December the 1st at 8 o'clock in the evening GMT so if you hear this before then and you like what you hear please go and check it out this is themed around Zeus's wife Hera got very upset when he uh, when he had some transgressions and she went down and opened the gates to where the titans were being held and the titans came out and there was a war and they smashed up Olympus and the gates of hell were opened and dead monsters and heroes and Hades himself were able to escape and some of the lesser gods were killed and now you are going to be up to four players although I've only played a two player version so that's all I'll be talking about at the moment uh, two players each you're going control a god and you're going to be battling on a map if you've seen conan was from the same company the maps are very similar to the maps in conan with the spaces in and the very artistic style to them but anyway if you haven't that doesn't help and you're going to be fighting until either one god is killed or the essence of the killed creatures is, is sort of dotted around the place and the injured gods are going around trying to collect this essence to rebuild their power and sort of put some structure back to the world. And they're called Omphalos stones. And if you collect more than half of the stones on the boards in the 2 player version, there's seven stones out there. If you collect four, that's also an instant win condition. So each player chooses a god, as I said, and then you're going to draft your troops in. Now, there are going to be monsters, heroes, and troops available to you. They're going to have points value from 1 to 4. Troops are the most basic ones. There's lots of figures in there, but they're very weak. They cost 1 point, obviously, whereas the strongest monsters and heroes will cost you 4 points. In a two-player game, you have 12 points to spend. You take them. The heroes and the monsters are single-figure minis. Now, the minis for the gods, the monster, the troops, everyone we've got some pre-production ones we've also got some of the resin ones which are the quality of fine production amazing fantastic and also the gods and some of the monsters are absolutely huge i'm not sure they're massively practical for the size of the map but they look so good i'm not sure i care either i mean yeah blown away by those anyway each of these units have got different statistics to them, their attack, their defense, their vitality, which is basically their health. And they all have passive special powers and abilities. They've got a movement they can use. When you've drafted them in, you build up a deck, and each of those units comes with a certain number of cards. So you might have four Zeus cards, three Hydra cards, four Hercules cards, a couple of Centaur cards, whatever it is you've decided to put together into your particular sort of squad, your team. You shuffle them all up, and you take some Art of War cards, which are like joker cards which let you activate a second unit on your turn because usually you just activate one unit at a time or they let you dig in for a certain card in your deck to retaliate when someone's attacked you or they, they basically mess, mess it up and give you some tactical flexibility and actually I, I found very very important how you use them and a nice addition to the game. Anyway you're going to draw a hand of three cards plus your Art of War cards and each turn we draw one card you play a card from your hand to activate that particular troop The first time you activate it it's going to come onto the board and do nothing else following that on their activation they're going to be able to move, they're going to be able to pick up stones, and they're going to be able to attack. There's terrain on the board, there's unit limits in different areas, so you can't all pile into one area at once. When you attack, you've got ranges, you might have different special attacks you can do, but all attacks work in the uh, same way. You have a certain number of attack dice you roll, you roll them. Fives explode, and the, and the dice are zero to five, by the way. Fives explode, but say I had a three and I had two other dice that weren't fives obviously for every dice i throw away i can add one to another dice and i'm trying to get it up to a five basically in most cases because the fives explode and you roll them again you, you add the new number to them now all zeros that I rolled are thrown away by the way but after that first roll any dice have managed to get to a five i pick up and i roll again if i roll a zero now that dice gets thrown away as ever. If i ever rolled a zero that dice is thrown away but say i had rolled three fives and i got a two a three and a four those attacks are now worth seven eight and nine and if there's any dice I didn't use from my initial roll, I can use them again to add one. So that nine I could turn into a ten, make that dice second roll five, I can explode that again. Each unit you attack has got a defense value, and basically you're trying to get each die, if you like, die value, up to the level of the defense. So say if the defense is eight, every die I manage to push and explode up to a level of at least eight is going to cause one wound to that unit. What happens when they get wounded? Well... In the prototype version, it's a dial that you turn around very reminiscent of hero clicks and their st- stats are going to go down they get slightly weakened, their attack gets worse sometimes they will instigate special powers which should be shown on the dial, sometimes it will take special powers away or make weaker if you ever get down to zero, obviously that unit's dead and it's thrown out for the game. I think in the actual production it's going to be a ruler that you use and you move them along. I don't know whether those hero clicks have I, I don't know anything about it honestly i'm guessing maybe there's some trademark I, don't quote me on that what do i know anyway that's how you're and it's kind of an interesting fight system and the game is very much all about the fighting there's a nice rule there whereby i talk about playing these cards you can use tactic cards to kind of go through your deck a bit quicker if someone attacks you you can retaliate by playing a card out of your hand if you get to the end of your deck you shuffle up and you refill your hand but the other person gets to pick up all the cards left in their deck and that also comes back to the initial drafting because different units have got different number of cards with them if you've got a thicker deck than the other person you know that once you last about you know after the first run through of the deck you're going to have a lot more tactical flexibility another sort of level to consider anyway you might have picked up uh we got sent like i say a sort of I'd say maybe a third a half of the base game, the full figures, the units, a map to play on the rules and what have you, had a good run through of it. And I had a lot of fun and I'm very hopeful for this one. Sean, have you got any questions on Mythic Battles Pantheon?
0: Yeah, I just got a couple of questions right. right. So this, uh, this dice mechanism, Mm. um, uh, how did you find it? I mean, while you're explaining it, and I have seen it in one of the promotional videos explained as well, it didn't sort of immediately become apparent how it all works to me. Is it was it difficult to explain? Does it work?
1: It definitely works. Whether it feels fair, uh, you know. But you roll you could roll nine dice and roll a load of ones and twos and blanks, and you go, Ah. But you can mitigate it because those twos by throwing away three other dice, you turn it into a five and it gets to explode and you go again. It's very easy. Once you get into it. When you're explaining it to people. Like there. When I said to you guys. You probably went. What's he talking about? He's just talking about fives. And numbers. And exploding. But if I show you. I show you once. Takes 30 seconds. You'll go. Oh yeah. I've got that. Instead of all the fiddliness. You just say to someone. What's your defense value? My defense value is 7. Right. That's what I have to roll. Every dice I can get to a 7. Is a hit. Easy peasy. All the units. Have got passive powers. And active powers. And remembering all the passive powers. And what they do. And the fact that. Leonidas helps out any troop types that are adjacent to him or you, you can't do that because you're blocked but that one's also blocked but that one isn't blocked stuff like that. That takes a little bit of learning and that's where a little bit of fiddliness with the combat comes into it. But I do have to say they're quite clear what they do and <laughs> there's a lot of minis and units coming in the Kickstarter. A lot, a lot. As same as with Conan, stretch goals and all sorts. Learning all of them would be quite difficult, I think Sean, but if you just kept it to a set limit to start with and got to learn certain units because you have to know what the other person's units do in order to make the right decisions. But combat itself, the basic mechanism is very easy.
0: Okay, two more questions. Yes. Player count. You've played this two player. Yeah. How well can you see it scaling up to three and four?
1: I think that you'd want all experienced players to be in there with three or four players. I know you can do team variety or, 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 or yeah, different ways. Also, you'd probably need a bigger map the map is not huge. Uh, it's very much sort of a limited scale. It's much more about how you use your deck and how you use your powers rather than movement and, and you making clever use of, of cover and things like that. So I, I'd definitely start two player because of the fact that every single unit has got three or four unique abilities to it. I'd start there and then I could see it being loads of fun with four experienced players when you're able to say, look, I've got Cerberus," and they go, oh, I know what Cerberus goes. That's cool.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I actually really liked when I started reading about this game and on Kickstarter page and various other places was that the actual map is interactive. You can go into sort of higher terrain to get longer bow shots and to hide in certain places and condense areas where not so many people can go in. I do like that element, definitely. Lastly... Is it one of my favourite games ever? Dungeon Command has he got an element of that going on about it? Is it, is it reminiscent to that? sell it to me.
1: Uh, it, it is quite reminiscent of Dungeon Command, but the combat with the rolling of the dice, you, you feel that it's a little bit luckier. Also, it definitely can't drag out as long as Dungeon Command. I know that when we got into it, I know that that's quite a shooting game, but this is really quick. The gems are there, and they're going to get eaten. As long as your god is on top of a gem, for their action to activate them, they can just swallow a gem, and that's a point scored, and you only four to win the game. Quite often, you're going to use other troops to run off, grab a gem, and try and get it back to the god, for the god on their turn to just go, swallow it. So, I'd say it's quicker than Dungeon Command. I'd say it kind of feels more epic, if that makes any sense, because... The monsters and the heroes and that, they really do feel big and powerful and they can put off crazy moves and Cerberus can sort of like use his three-headed attack to attack all things around him and Hercules can actually pick up bits of scenery and throw it and attack everyone in one space and that bit of scenery gets removed. It, it,
0: it kind of seems more definitive because um, am I right in thinking if your if hero stroke god dies then that's you done?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: You see, You have got you've got that definitive thing. If that person dies, that's it. In Dungeon Command, you've you just had a, a slew of creatures coming out and you had to get points down to zero.
1: Yeah, and, and you, you don't have those constant reinforcements coming in. The only things that can come back when they die are your weakest units or your troops. So if you go ahead and, and lose Atlanta, she's gone out of the game that's it she's not coming back medusa she's gone out of the game actually medusa's got a really cool power called petrify and petrify tokens she can freeze up to four of your units and it takes you playing one of those powerful cards and your units cards to get them back awake again and man you have to be aware of her on the battlefield and that's what i'm talking about it's got those things that are complete game changers. and is the better aware you are of each other's troops the better the game's going to be
0: very good thank you for explaining that one to us ronan
1: you're very welcome and like I say if, if you're wavering honestly hand on heart we get given all sorts of different offers to look at Kickstarter stuff and we say look we'll have a look if we don't like it we're not going to talk about it I really like this one which is why I've done this special look section on it and I, it does have my personal recommendation that's Mythic Battles some people got the real problems some people of love some people think I can solve
0: them Okay, we're going to go back to the episode now and back to our main reviews, and we're going to kick off the second half of the show with Flam Rouge, designed by Askar Harding Granud, and coming from lotaplet.fi playing two to four players. Flam Rouge is a cycling race game, played on a modular board with very few and very simple rules. Each player has two riders. Sprinter and a Rouleur. And the winner of the game is the one who crosses the finish line first with one of their riders. Each player has a deck of cards but for each of these riders, numbering from two to nine. And when played, the rider will move a matching amount of spaces on the track. There's three phases. First off, you're going to choose your cards by drawing four and selecting one for each rider in turn. And then you're going to reveal those cards and move your riders. You apply a slipstream by moving packs up if they are one space adrift. And then afterwards, you're going to remove the played cards from the game. And any rider with nobody directly in front of them gains an exhaustion card. And these are the lowest value two cards. And they're going to clog up the deck. There are different stages you can put together with this uh, modular map. You have some of them with ascents and descents, and they're going to change the rule, make it slightly easier to go downhill and more difficult to go uphill. And finally, there are tour rules available. That's pretty much it for Rouge rules, running
1: it is so simple sean and it is such a smooth gameplay experience it's completely simultaneous everyone's making their own little decisions. to flip over and you see what happens it's got that instant gratification of flip what happens on the board <laughs> that's funny
0: <laughs> yes very very simple gameplay but definitely more than the sum of its parts i think there...
1: <laughs> there's definitely thought has got to go into it you've got to try and read what other people are doing for me for that element i think the tracks are a little bit too short i think they could do been a bit longer and then you'd have to think a little bit more about what was going on you have to save your energy because currently certainly a lot of the courses it doesn't feel that punishing to just fire off and and, yeah i don't feel wary about playing a seven and really going for it because it's quite hard to die at the end of it.
0: Right, oh, so, okay, I die. So I mean, you get loads of exhaustion. Yeah. You've gone straight there. So right, let's cut to the quick here, Roland. Is there a winning strategy? You've been moderately obsessed with playing this game.
1: Well, I, well my daughters have.
0: <laughs>
1: actually i got this out and uh, the, you know their only interaction with cycling has been making them watch tour de france and the world's highlights and stuff and them going oh again <laughs> this happened happen four times a year um and i got a cycling game i said so, you know, give it a go oh dad give it a go oh dad screaming at the end of it scream just so happy they absolutely adore this game anyway on certain tracks it's not quite right, because if you just fire off out of the gate and you just go for it, no one can catch you sometimes. Unless they've they've gone with you and they start playing all their best cards, they're not going to get there. Now, the game doesn't quite punish you enough. It's, it's a couple of tracks that have got the most downhills. There's one that's got an uphill finish, and that's a killer. And that's where a bit of thought comes into it, only... All the racing then is into the foot of it, because you can't get more than five spaces on an uphill, so people are just crawling five at a time to get to the top. It's like, oh God, I've started off harsh on this, right? You ask me, is there a killer strategy? Yes, on certain courses, just play your highest cards and go, 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 go. Is there a killer strategy on other courses? No, but good players will all get there in a jumble. And yet I still really like the game.
0: Okay, so you are a cycling fan. How how does it, for you, convey those races? For me, as somebody who occasionally watches it, I, th- I feel like it conveys some of the stuff very well, like the the, the tactical, the, the hanging back, and the choosing when to strike, and the, obviously the exhaustion and fatigue of going too early, and stuff like that.
1: It does to a certain degree. It's like if you want to be really successful on a break, you want to, on the harder courses, you want to try and rotate your riders so there's not one getting exhausted. So if you get a breakaway in proper cycling, right, they they need to have four plus riders at least so that they can take the wind and draft it. And so you need to have that rotation and that exhaustion really works like that, that you're protecting each other and you can do that. The only thing is it doesn't happen enough. That's the only thing, like it's so good, it's so funny, you can get dropped off the back and miss a break. Like if you play a two card and everyone else played high value cards, and then they realise they can all push. They can play high value and high value and high value, and then you can never catch them. And then after three or four turns, you're getting exhaustion every time and you're dropped out. So you can lose it early. It's like 2% away from being fantastic in that element it's there <laughs> just not always there and it doesn't always work like drafting's a bit too easy sometimes like because if you get a one space right all the way through the bloke who's seven spaces behind will suddenly draft three or four spaces upwards because you've got these one spot gaps in between and you go oh, i don't know but yeah there should be like a maximum amount you can go forward on a draft or something like that
0: yeah, going back to your 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 point about maybe not buses, maybe not being long enough. See, for me, sometimes when I'm playing this game, I kind of like that they are quite short because it doesn't outstay the old welcome and people. can't Oh yeah, get but but when I say not end. long
1: enough, Sean, I mean by like ten spaces.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, by like
1: yeah. a turn or two turns. That's that's how close it is. It's that you can have, your deck can be rinsed rinse nothing but exhaustion left but if you draw that last seven cards you're going to win and no one could have caught you it doesn't always work sometimes people get caught on the line and there is that variability but it can come down to card draw whether there's no tactics at all in it
0: so moving away slightly from the the theme of the game and uh, the actual gameplay the the art choice there's, there's some strange artwork going <laughs> there there's some fiercely ugly riders <laughs> it's
1: funny because you look at it and like yeah the fellas they do look a bit sort of misshapen and not really human and yet my kids who claim last episode they're all about the art quite like them in the way that they kind of point at them and go oh, i like that dude look at his mustache oh look how ugly that one is he's mine so it's kind of charmingly ugly <laughs>
0: He's charming. that's a good way of putting it, charmingly ugly, because some of like them ourselves. really are <laughs> quite strikingly ugly-looking <laughs> Yeah, so I'm kind of feeling that you're kind of a little bit torn on this one, man. Right?
1: I'm not torn. I'm not torn at all, I love
0: it. It's just <laughs> <Okay>. not yeah like- <laughs>
1: it's everyone can understand it you can teach it to non-gamers to to reasonably aged kids you you can teach it to proper gamers and they'll go oh i can see the gamey bit in that and then non-gamers you know the minute there's a break on they go hold on i'd never taught it that someone didn't go can we play it again even non-gamers can we play that again yeah let's play it again great three player is best because I think with four player, drafting is a bit too easy, the, the track is a bit too crowded. It actually reduces the tactics in play. So, three player is the sweet spot for me. I, I absolutely love it. It just needed that tiny little polish. That tiny little. And I know that uh, Asgo has been, he's heard about this, that the breakaway work, working. I know he's working on a five or six player expansion to it. So, clearly, Flam has been successful because the expansion's in the works. <laughs> when I'm rating it on BGG, I find myself torn because I'm going, I love playing it, but I know there's flaws. But it's charming enough that I don't care. So, Flam Rouge, I, I think it's a great gateway game. Honestly. Uh, probably all the things I'm talking about, when you teach it to, to gate as a gateway, a newer game's that, they not even care, not interested, don't even notice. It's probably me being a bit of a miserable old gamer git.
0: <laughs> we had the question and answer session... With mythic battles pantheon before this one kind of carried on in that vein because i'm so interested in you as a as a cycling fan how your take of it is so one more question before i sum up to you is comparison with leader one where, where does this you- sit? <laughs> um
1: leader one is like that 10k run that you know you should do because at the end of it, you'll feel really good and you feel like you've achieved something. But actually making yourself do it is quite difficult. Whereas Flam Rouge is like that tub of Ben and Jerry's that you know is not great for you. There's, there's issues here, but I really, I want to sit there and eat it.
0: Very good. Very good. For me, um, Flam Rouge, it didn't quite hit the notes that I wanted it to because of the player count. Uh, so, most of my gaming is two-player, and I didn't really think it worked at all with two players. It's built to work with two players, but I, I wouldn't... If if you are going to play with two players, maybe play with two teams. we we'll have two teams each, and maybe try and work it that way, a bit of house ruling. But, yeah, it does come alive with three and four players. I do enjoy it. I bought it. But Ronan and his children enjoyed it so much, I've, I've actually given it to them. So, yeah, not quite as enjoyable as Ronan, but it's certainly a very decent game.
1: You're a good cousin and uncle.
0: <laughs> and that was Flam Rouge.
1: Okay, our penultimate game this time round is Cottage Garden. This is from Edition Spielweiss. One to four players, 45 to 60 minutes, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, designer of Patchwork and A Feast for Odin, and certainly sharing a mechanism with those games and Agricola and Caverna. And let's keep on going with how many games he's designed, shall we? this is themed around planting two flower beds with tiles to score for the features in those flower beds not the flowers themselves but flower pots and plant covers now flower pots and plant covers may be printed on the flower beds already that you get to plant or they may be available on tiles to you or as bonuses so there is a die which is going to move around the outside of a grid you never roll this die it just shows you what round you are on. this grid is four by four on your turn where the die is it will be on a column or a row and on there will be two to four flower tiles because if there's ever zero or one you refill it from a track of various flower tiles of various shapes with various number of squares in them. If you know patchwork very similar tiles to the patchwork tiles only these have got flowers on them and they all in like those Tetris shapes and, all place, and L's and S's and squares and, and long ones and all the rest of it so you take one of those tiles if you wish to if you don't wish to do that you can take a flower pot and plop it onto your board should be worth a point to anyway Uh, if you take a tile you plant it onto one of two flower beds you have in front of you the flower beds are a five by five grid as i said they come pre-printed with uh, they've got two sides to them there are nine of them available in the game there's always Two times the number of players plus one available, and they're going to flip around so you don't know exactly which flower bed you're going to get. Anyway, you're going to pop your flower tile onto your flower bed. You're attempting to cover all of it. You can cover the features. However, once a flower bed is filled, you're going to score for all the flower pots and the flower plants which are uh, visible. You can help fill up this. You've got little cat tiles which cover one square at a time. can help you fill up your flower bed. I'll tell you how you get them. Anyway, when you fill up a flower bed, you're going to score for the pots and covers. And you're going to move orange and blue cubes. Orange for flower pots, blue cubes for your covers. Each time you score a flower bed, you can only move one of three orange or blue cubes. It's up to you which one you move. And the reason that that makes a difference is because when you cross over six points with a cube, you're going to get a cat tile. They're just one square, as I said. They can help you cover a flower bed or a, or a tricky space that you weren't quite able to do before, but you can only ever have two of them at once. So you want to time when you take those cat tiles. Also, towards the end of the track, there's a leap from the second last space, which is worth 14 points, to the last space, which is worth 20 points. And part of the decision making is trying to time your cubes exactly to make the best out of that six point leap in just one step forward. For having, like I say, one pot or one cover. Once that die goes around the board five times or fewer, if there are fewer players, it goes turns over to six. And then any flower beds that haven't got at least two tiles on are thrown away. You're then going to lose two points each round because the game should be over and you should be done in your job. You're going to continue as normal but lose two points every time. You have to take a turn until everyone has finished all their flower beds. You don't get replacement ones when you finalise after in that sixth round and onwards, although you would do, obviously, all the way through the game. Otherwise, you wouldn't have flower beds to plant. Then we check everyone's scores and whoever scored the most points has won the game. Sean, Cottage
0: Garden. I think it looks lovely. There's some really nice touches. You've got the cats, the wheelbarrows, but still, start running, there were some production problems with this. They had to use a sticker book to overtype the rules errors, and I think there was a few other issues going on with the rule book.
1: Yeah, they, they misprinted the board on one side for various player counts, they missed out rules, things were mistranslated. So, yeah, um, but it is a small company, Sean, so... They gave you the stickers. I'm not that fussed, to be honest with you. I'm not like I'm very excited that my copy's not pristine or anything like that. So, it didn't yeah, bother me that on. much. And for a small company, I think it's forgivable.
0: I just got a question before we even get onto a proper review.
1: You like a question <laughs> answer today? I do,
0: I wondering. do. What is it with Rosenberg and covering stuff? You, <laughs> would you? I think you'd invite him round your house. He'd just start tearing L shapes <laughs> into the carpet and covering. <laughs> it's an obsession
1: hey, he had a tiny bit of a hit with patchwork and he's just gone crazy It's um, yeah definitely reminiscent of patchwork this one feast for odin we're going to cover next time around so you'll get a completely different take and a much heavier take on this mechanism of having to cover a board for points in this one sean although it's multiplayer and actually the playtime is probably a bit longer than patchwork for me it's actually lighter than patchwork is
0: way lighter way
1: yeah uh, i yeah. think the main reason for that is you're only ever filling a five by five board at once so once you've placed one or two tiles on there you kind of fixed what's going to go on there you also when you're planning ahead you can plan to a degree because you know exactly where where the dice is going to go so you can go oh, i'm going to be on that column that row that column that row that column that column that row that way and you can see and go around and go that's where i'm going to get a turn that's when to get a turn other players because it's it's a bi-directional system of columns and rows they may take tiles from your column or row before you get there but you still have some planning ability but coming back to my original point it's a five by five grid so a couple of tiles on there and then I'm I'm stuck. I'm, that, that's what I'm doing, and I can't plan really far ahead and go. on that one. I want that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah you go. You're going down that road, and on top of that, you haven't got the income mechanic. It, or, out of, of my mouth, out of my mouth. So, and and take that away from patchwork. I would go as far as you're almost ripping the soul out, patchwork.
1: Well, we're, we're, we're about hearts and souls today, aren't we? Have we been? We having an emotional <laughs> moment. <laughs> You get into the key of things
0: here. Okay, I'm going to say, it, Ronan, I, I I put this to you. Now, this this is a bit harsh, and I'm going overboard to exaggerate my point. But is this a jigsaw puzzle with a draft?
1: <laughs> uh, no, because it's not as tricky as a jigsaw
0: puzzle. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> <Help. laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's true. I'd be thinking more about a jigsaw puzzle than I do about this game. <laughs> the income system in Patchwork is so good because it's your points and it's your income and it's very very simple and you're going that is that worth me spending that amount of money on in this they've lightened the game but brought in convoluted scoring where you've got six scoring cubes for no good reason you've got the cat line for like what why have I got a cat like? not you just give me one cat every time I finish a board. That'd be a lot easier. And then they love the jump from fourteen to twenty. It's like they looked at the game and went, Oh, this game there's not really not a lot here, is there? Ah, oh. Put in some kind of really pissy scoring system just to, to pretend to add some depth.
0: Uh yeah. Hitting these on the head, Roland, <laughs> we've done it again. Yeah, it's just I don't think it's offensive. I oh, well, it's, well, I mean, it as looks as well charming, someone. right? it's it's got a little bit of charm going to it it's not offensive but it's not intriguing or enticing maybe maybe a game for maybe a younger audience an introduction to patchwork for a younger audience
1: or something even then my my kids kind of got a bit bored and the scoring system put them off they were like oh i don't really like they didn't care enough to follow the scoring they're like why is it going from 14 to 20 well, like even a little kid can look at that and go, "Why does it go from
0: fourteen to 20? That's I can count to twenty, buddy. That's not how counting works. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's a strange one, and and another disappointment. I mean, for me to sum up, it isn't offensive. It does look really nice. The wheelbarrow is lovely. I like the wheelbarrow. The cats in it are cool. But as I said before, you've just ripped the heart with taking that scoring uh, mechanism and the income mechanic that sort of melds into one. From patchwork, you're whipping everything that I really like about patchwork out of it, and you're left with puzzle, like a jigsaw puzzle with a draft.
1: Yeah, and the final nail in the coffin for me, mate, was it was repetitive. I couldn't go much further than that with it. You're doing five by five again and again and again, and it never went anywhere. I wasn't developing anything. you know patchwork, you're getting more income. You feel like you're developing. You're and there's nothing developed. I was just playing the same game stage one to stage five uh, and it didn't go anywhere it's it's not great it's average to maybe slightly above average just because it looks quite pretty no one hates it but then i don't really met anyone who particularly loves it either and i'd just rather play patchwork if i'm honest with you so cottage garden no mate uh, just not not that great sorry
0: well there's another disappointment and well, another one that I had high hopes for, Ronan. The last Friday is going to be our last game for this episode, designed by Antonio Ferrara and Sebastiana Fiorello from Ares Games, two to six players. It is inspired by slasher movies like Friday the Thirteenth, and Last Friday is a hidden movement and deduction game, where one player is the the Jason Voorhees or the Maniac, as they call them. And all the other players are campers visiting a lakeside campsite. Then the maniac is going to strike. So if you think letters from Whitechapel with Jason Voorhees involved. The full game takes place over four chapters. And each one is going to change the goals for the maniac and the campers. So in in the first chapter, the maniac is going to try and kill the campers as they try to get to safety. In number two, the campers are going to hunt the maniac, and the maniac now reveals their location every three turns. The maniac in chapter three is now hunting what they call the predestined. The predestined is decided by the person who either discovers the maniac in chapter two or is closest to him at the end of the round and the campers are going to try and protect the predestined to stop the maniac killing them, because if the maniac kills them, that's the end of the game. If he doesn't, then the roles flip once more, and the predestined is going to try and kill the maniac. The players have individual powers. You can can increase your speed, you can lay traps, you can shed light. Light reveals where the maniac is. And we also have cabins, which offer safety. The players can go into the cabins to, to get safe in one of the scenarios. Also, the maniac can wreck the cabin and give himself a, another a secret passage to, to get around the board easier. So, that's roughly what last Friday is. Rodan. Hmm. Hmm, indeed.
1: So, last Friday. Yeah. Well, I think... What they've gone for here, Sean, is in a lot of these games where you're doing hidden movement and people are looking for people, let's watch out for you, Dracula, whatever it might be. You're playing the same game round after round after round after round. And the key factor of last Friday is they've tried to avoid the monotony of that. Now, whether those games are good or not, you are doing the same thing. And they've broken it up and the rules change. And that, that much is obvious. And I think that's a good goal for them to have aimed for. But what it does is, it kind of means that the game almost can never be successful on a first play or with mostly new players. Because you have to know the subtleties of the difference between the chapters and the repercussions of, if I do this now, what does that mean coming forward? And what's my goal going to be going forward? Because that goal shifts and changes. So uh, I, I can see... A lot of people having a bad first experience with last Friday.
0: Yeah, my first experience was, um, I think, possibly a slightly mild disappointment. That could have been the group we were playing with. That could have been me over, over egging my excitement about this because I'm a big fan of Let's from Whitechapel. Love hidden movement games. I was probably <laughs> alone in, in liking Fury of Dracula In when we did our Fury of Dracula episode. So definitely one that I had built up. Now, if we're going to get down to nitty-gritty of this one, Ron, I think that the chapters are a good idea. They definitely raise it above the level of some of the other hidden movement games out there. But I think they pushed it a little bit too far. I think they could have reined it in and maybe three chapters was enough. It's certainly in our first few games. By the time we got to the third chapter, people were kind of ready for that to be the last chapter.
1: Yeah, they were. Let me ask you this, though. If something was simple as clear player aids, which showed people what the changes were from the chapters round to round, what the rule changes were and what they were trying to do, how much of that would have removed the kind of fatigue they are getting? Because the game's not that long and the chapters are not that long at all. They can be like half an hour each. Okay, that adds up to two hour game, but you're talking about after two chapters, people have been ready to go. And, and I think that's because people are feeling like, oh, what have I got to learn this time? What am I trying to do? I don't really care because... It needs to be better presented to them. They need to have a clear way of going. This is the overall art. This is where you're going, and and it's hard to convey on the first play.
0: It is, and I think they. You're absolutely right. Player aids, etc. I think also, the person who is teaching the game has a little bit of responsibility in this one. You have to. You have to build up the scenario. You have to build up the what's what's going on. You almost have to sell the game which is not something you you generally like to have to do surely the game should sell itself but i think with this one you almost have to sell it yourself and sort of build up the excitement and talk to people about what's going on and and as you said explain the subtle little nuances that are going on in each of these chapters
1: yeah but you know you say you think the game should sell itself but they've tried to do something more and i think people go in and because they've played these hidden movement games that's what they're expecting and then just going another round of it, another round of it. And you need everyone at the table to make that step up and go, okay, you need to stay kind of invested in rules explanations three or four times throughout this game because everyone's got to be invested. It's, it's a game that requires a bit more to put into it to get out. Like, there's things like. People tend to, in the first play, just ignore the side mechanisms for the campers for like setting uh, bear traps or putting out lamps to light the board because they can't see what difference that will make later on. And then after a playthrough, and maybe that you're right, the person who's teaching it needs to be like, look, maybe we could put a lamp here because then if he moves through here at any point, the maniac, then we're going to know where he is. Or if we put a bear trap here, that stops him from being able to go down that particular route, which helps us out. Maybe.
0: I think you're right. And a funny little one for me, and I'll stop talking about Letters from Whitechapel anytime soon. I um, won't. I won't know. That's a lie. I think I actually, while I was playing this, I was actually starting to wonder would people who really like Letters from Whitechapel necessarily like this one? Because with Letters from Whitechapel, it's all about the ramping up of everything as you go through the game you're getting closer to the killer the killer's got less time to move around you're building up those clues you're building up your web and then you're just closing in on them slowly this one it kind of resets go again completely different scenario reset go again completely different scenario so you're having to stop and start a lot whereas what else whitechapel is it goes in increments
1: i i do know what you're saying it's have the Given us enough for the extra that they've they've loaded on, is there a balance to it? And also, while I keep trying, almost like I'm trying to defend the game, there are some rough edges to it. There are some things you go like, so for example, uh, chapter one, the maniac is chasing those campers, uh, and he's trying to get to trying to get to them. But actually, at the start of chapter two, the closer the maniac is to the campers, the worse it is for them. And you kind of go, well hold on, then. At some point during chapter one, the main act can do their maths and go, I'm not going to catch that person. I am firing off the other side of the map. And it kind of feels a bit funny if it, it takes some of the tension away.
0: There is definitely some some rough edges to this. One of the things I, I really did enjoy, Rodan, is just that inbuilt mechanic of adding the tension where every three turns, in some scenarios, the maniac reveals where they were three turns before that, and in some scenarios, they reveal exactly where they are every three turns. I think that that adds to that sort of slasher feel, where they're popping out of the shadows and all of a sudden standing behind you. I liked that element, definitely.
1: I I do like it, but I think it happens a bit too often to have that slasher element. The slasher element is, I'm not sure he is, I'm not sure he is, oh, suddenly he appears. It happens so often in this game that, The campers have a good idea where he is, right? They kind of go, he's there, 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 or there. And because he wants to go in that direction, he's probably actually one of those two spots. It's funny for me, but I almost feel like there was a little bit more that both sides could do to mix it up a little. Because it is quite work-outable. You go, well, they're just going to be there. Or they're going to be one of those two spaces. And it's more about then sort of the small minutiae of movement rather than the, I don't know, the cleverness or the subterfuge maybe.
0: Some people are going to game this up like they do with all hidden movement games and they're going to spend 45 minutes working out exactly every possibility of where the person will be and then work out the best possible guess. Some people are just going to play it and go, you know what, he could be there, there, or there, let's play on. Let's see where see he where is.
1: You're never going to get over that one game of Letters of Whitechapel that they, bro- never. they ruined it for you, are you? <laughs> it was a long time ago.
0: 45 Uh, minutes, one turn. Yes, they worked out where I was, but they (laughs) broke me. (laughs) You
1: need to move on. You need some sort of therapy. I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet, Sean. Uh, In terms of it feeling like a slasher movie overall for you, and the artwork and the theme, did that work?
0: I think it did. The artwork is quite simple, but it does bring you back through those slasher films of the 80s and early uh, late 70s and i i definitely got a feeling for it definitely
1: yeah i like the artwork actually it did give it a different feel it's kind of i almost said it feels campy there but you know it does feel campy
0: right <laughs> in, in a way Camp.
1: <laughs> yeah and i like the overall presentation and actually i like the experience of playing last friday I'm aware there are rough edges, but I want to learn it, and what I really want to do is play with all people who have all played it a couple of times, so that the play will get quicker, we'll all understand what's going on and the repercussions of what happens early in the game, we'll all know where the game is going to, and we can all then make clever decisions am I 100% confident that it will stand up to scrutiny and repeat plays, and it will show that it's quite... uh, Because it's not as Ameritrash as you would think from the theme. It is all fairly low luck actually it's all down to you and what you do and that thing we have to reveal with maniac is means people can work out what's going on and it hasn't got those dice rolls and there's other things that you might expect in the game so but is it tight enough to stand up to that scrutiny i'm not sure so i can't give it a great rating just now because there is that barrier to entry and as well as me having a few games under my belt or everyone else to have a few games under the belt but i will say i like it enough that i'm willing to carry on playing it and maybe it's one we can revisit
0: for me, it's one of those ones that I'm always going to kind of forgive the rough edges and just give that probably one more chance than they possibly deserve. So this one hasn't really hit the high notes for me yet, but I love the theme. I love hidden movement games. so And I really do appreciate that there are some very clever ideas in this game. The game works very hard to keep you interested like things like revealing them the maniac it keeps me interested the different chapters keep me interested in the game i think if you're a fan of slasher films fan of hidden movement i think it's definitely something you want to try out maybe try before you buy i'm going to give this one a few more chances yet and i'm still hopeful that it's going to produce the goods and that is last friday Okay, so we've finally got some of those Essen games reviewed. Not a completely positive bag there, Ronan.
1: No, I didn't hate any. No. But there were a few kind of average games in there. And uh, as you were just saying to me, Sean, I was probably sounded most excited about Mythic
0: but <laughs> <Bans. laughs> Yeah, definitely a few disappointments in there. But what isn't disappointing, and is actually quite exciting, Ronan, we are off on our travels down to the coast to Eastbourne for LobsterCon. Yeah!
1: LobsterCon 12, Days of Christmas. Braps! Yes, very excited. Sean and I, oh, we've got all sorts of things going on. We're running a bring em by on the Saturday morning there'll be lots of games if you're in the Eastbourne area come and have a look we are taking part in the raffle for me as one of the organisers of London Aboard, I'd like to say thank you to Brain Games to Asmodee to Czech Games Edition and to Ludicreations for your support of the raffle thank you very much
0: absolutely and of course Brain Games you mentioned there we're going to have an ice cool competition a
1: trick shot competition Sean, are you are you warming up those fingers yeah. and thumbs, yeah there'll be copies to be won Absolutely. there, so if you're coming along to eSpawn we look forward to playing games I'm going to try and make myself available for more gaming this time, I did far too much organising last time, I played about three games a day I need to definitely up that ratio um, I'm looking forward to some fish and chips I'm looking forward to the crazy American diner around the corner with the great milkshakes, all great Eastbourne traditions and the Thursday night curry Thai place amazing <gasps> Sean I'm getting over excited now
0: you are getting that about <laughs> so that's where our next <laughs> yeah only <laughs> so that's where our next episode will be winging its way from so hope you enjoy that and in the meantime we are very proud members of the dice Tower network go there for gaming reviews videos podcasts all sorts going on on the tail Network. If you wish to contact us, we can be emailed at thegamepitpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We have a board game geek guild where you can come and ask us questions, point things out to us, and generally have some fun conversations. We love joining in there. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account at Gamebit Podcast, We are also on Instagram. And if you wish to download our episodes, we are on Stitcher, iTunes, and of course, Podbean itself. Thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron.